Welcome back to Comics Over Time, a podcast where we take a trip through the history of Marvel Comics with a focus on some of the important and interesting comic stories that inspired the Hollywood blockbusters of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Every two weeks, we take a look at a batch of comics and then watch the related MCU movie or TV show. And after we're done, we connect the dots from the comic book panels to the moving pictures and try and answer the most important of questions, who told the tale best? The books or the screen adaptation? My name is Dwayne, and with me this week again, as always, is my good buddy Dan. Dan, welcome. There, how's it going, Dwayne? We have wow. a week this week. Holy oh. cow. Oh, yes. So, so we may have found the answer to your question, and that is Ryan Coogler, by the way, is the one who tells it best. But uh, Yes. So... So we, we took a trip out, both of us, to our theater this week. Uh, we saw the new Black Panther movie, Wakanda Forever, and had itself a record-breaking opening weekend. Interesting, too, because very few sequels have ever faced quite as daunting a challenge as this one did. You know, Black Panther, the first movie is built entirely around T'Challa and sort of the star power of Chadwick Boseman, and then we lose him. Uh, we lose him to cancer about two years ago, leaves this huge hole. And for a long time, I think it seemed that it'd be impossible for this series to continue on without him. Uh, how they did that, both in terms of honoring Bozeman and in terms of making a movie that then is actually worthy of his memory, is something we're going to talk about. But I will say that uh, the short answer to how they did is pretty well, pretty pretty damn well, actually. Yeah. It was it was an emotional movie. It was a long movie. We'll talk about the length of the movie, second longest in the MCU, but they had a lot to get through, so it, it does make does make some sense. Before before we do that, let's talk a little bit about uh some news and comics this week. And God, it feels like every week we have somebody legendary who who passes away. And this week, uh no different, actually a couple people. Let's start with the voice of Batman. Kevin Conroy passes away at age 66. Uh, the announcement was made on Facebook by Dan, Diane Pershing, who voices the character Poison Ivy, saying, Very sad news. Our beloved voice of Batman, Kevin Conroy, died yesterday. He's been ill for a while, but he really put a lot of time in at the cons to enjoy all to the joy of all his fans, sorry. He, he will be sorely missed, and not just by the cast of the series, but by his legions of fans all over the world. And that kind of matches what I was seeing on social media as well. There was a lot of, uh, a lot of people were familiar with his work, a lot of people uh, pointing out how, how, how important he was. He was the Caped Crusader oh, yeah. in the 90s. Sorry. Yeah, and it Oh, I was going to say, I am one of that legion of fans. I I own, actually, on on the, the classical media called DVD, all of the <laughs> uh, all of the original Batman the Animated Series shows from back in the day. And I think there's a lot of us who, in terms of adaptations of Batman, think that Batman the Animated Series is actually the apex. It is the best Batman that has ever been done. And... His voice and the work he put into it was an, a huge part of that. So this is this is a crushing loss for people who are, you know, fans of of that series and really of sort of comic 
superhero adaptations because he was one of the kings of that uh, that corner of our hobby. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just going on to say he he voiced Batman in the in the Batman animated series in the early '90s. Did lots of other projects with Warner Brothers. Uh, it was in the Toy Story movies. I think I saw as well. There was a, a a lot, and it sounds like he was very fan accessible. Went to a lot of cons and uh, met with people uh, a lot over the years. And so, yeah, this is going to be a a very a very big loss. No, he was. I mean, almost one of those people that was that was omnipresent. It seemed within sort of fan circles and stuff like that, going out of his way. To, to be somebody who was actually there for for a, a lot of people in the industry and the hobby. So it's it's definitely uh kind of a kind of an unfortunate one. There also is uh they did put it behind a, a sign up wall, but if any of you are interested in reading it, he actually for uh the Pride issue a while ago, he did a Finding Batman uh comic book uh with J Bone and Aditya uh Bidikar that is available for free. You do have to sign up. Uh, we'll put a link to it in the uh, in the show notes if you wanted to go out and read that. But it's a uh, kind of a little bit of a story about him, both in terms of you know how he how he got the Batman role, and also sort of trying to navigate Hollywood and the like as a as a gay man back in the early nineties. So sure, and unfortunately, he was not the only one that we heard about this last week. No, and this is a guy who. Probably you don't know a lot about uh, because I, we haven't we haven't read any of his stuff, and that's the normal way you would probably have come across him. Uh, but Carlos Pacheco was a sort of a legend of the late '90s, early 2000s, and has been working steadily uh, both Marvel, DC, and then uh, in uh, on his own stuff. One of my favorites of his is Aerosmith, which is kind of one of his own creations that he does with Kurt Busiek, and so, you know, he'd been working regularly right up until recently. Uh, there was new Aerosmith stuff um, being worked on. Evidently, he started having some trouble with his leg earlier this spring. It ended up being sort of paralyzed just this September. It actually was diagnosed with ALS, uh, amniotrophic lateral sclerosis, which is a devastating disease. Yeah, we, uh, we have a friend that we, uh, that we lost to that a few years ago. Um, and so he went very quickly, um, died just uh, just last week. And so if any of you by any chance are interested in learning more about ALS or uh, donating uh, in Carlos's or, or in Amy's uh, memory, feel free to uh, head out to the link we have there for ALS.org. So just as a note, by the way, while you know, Pacheco might not be a name everyone's heard of, keep in mind that this is a guy who the mayor of his his birth town, his birthplace, uh, San Roque, actually declared two official days of mourning after he died. Flags at government institutions were lowered to half-mast, and after consulting with the family, they also decided to create an actual funeral chapel in the plenary hall of their main palace of the governors, the city hall, essentially, where people would be able to come in and pay their respects to him uh, after his passing. So essentially, he's getting... A state funeral back home. Right. So this is, uh, you know, this is the effect he's had back on his town. They they essentially believe he is, you know, one of the greatest sons ever to come out of their town. And it's a it's a city of 
30, 40,000 people. So somewhere around the size of, of what Fargo was when I, when I got here back in the day. So not a small town. One, one last uh, comic book note, uh, something a little lighter, is there is actually a new trade uh, book coming out this week called Namor the Submariner that collects a couple classic Namor stories. So in case you went and saw the movie and now want to see uh, some Namor in action, uh, the 176-page trade paperback collects Namor's features in the Tales to Astonish, issues 70 to 80, the start of the submarine's quest to find Neptune's trident and reclaim the Atlantean throne from the warlord Krang. There's also Daredevil number seven, the far first of a two-parter that pits Namor against the horn-headed hero of Hell's Kitchen. So yes. that is... That is actually going to be available this week, November 15th. So if you are interested in in, uh, in getting some books uh, on Namor, this would be a great opportunity to do that. All right. So now, of course, we have to abandon talking about Black Panther and spend the rest of our time arguing about whether it is the Submariner or the Submariner, because... Oh. I am I'm firmly in the Namor the Submariner camp, but I know there are others who uh, who feel differently. So sure. anyone anyone out there uh, listening to the podcast who wants to weigh in on this, feel free to do so. But all right, maybe we won't argue about it the whole time. But <laughs> anyway, uh, that that does sound cool, and and it's good that they're bringing some of these things out to kind of uh, you know get people information on some of these characters. Now that uh, now that they're up on the big screen, right. And with that, let's we've got a we've got a new movie to talk about. This is going to be your spoiler warning. This is a brand new movie. It came out last Friday, November eleventh. So this is there's a decent possibility if you're listening to this, you may not have seen it yet. We're hoping that you have, but if you have not seen this movie yet. You, and you do not want to get it spoiled because we are going to talk in detail about what happens and, and a lot of different facets of the movie. Please stop the recording now, watch the movie, then come back to us and listen once you've seen it because it, it is definitely worth seeing before ta hearing about it, I think. Yeah, I would go one step further. Absolutely do not continue past the, the beep or whatever if you haven't seen the movie because... It deserves to be experienced before you uh, before you hear about it. All right, Dwayne. I think we are safely past the spoiler warning. It's time to uh, maybe get some film facts and then get into talking here about uh, Wakanda Forever. Wanna wanna yes. get us started? All right. All right, let's get started. First, the tagline: Forever. This was. Black Panther Wakanda Forever released on Friday, November 11th, 2022. It's got a runtime of 161 minutes. That's two hours, 41 minutes. Second longest movie in the MCU. It's box office take since it's brand new. We don't have figures on that uh, in total, but it had a $84 million debut on Friday the second biggest debut of 2022 behind only Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. The budget for this film, $250 million. Its current IMDb rating is a 7.4 out of 10. The movie stars Letitia Wright, Lupita Nyong'o, 
Denai Guerrera, Tena Chuerta, and Angela Bassett. The director is Ryan Coogler, and the screenplay was by Ryan Coogler and Joe Robert Cole. So, Dan, why don't you give us a short recap as to what happens? There's a lot lot to recap, and then we'll jump in and talk about some specifics. Sounds good. Um, and as a note, I think this was actually, uh, somebody said this is one of the, the biggest November openings ever. Is that correct? Or something like that? I believe it was something along those. It, so it could have been. I, I did not see that note. I just saw the note about yeah. the uh, about about 2022 openings so far. Yep, so doing really well. And I think it's going to crush Doctor Strange over the next few months because I suspect it's going to have much better legs. But nonetheless, um, we're ready for our recap. Two minutes. Good luck to me. That's what I say. So (laughs) that's why I said short recap. I didn't say two minute recap. Things have been compressed for this. Um, The movie actually opens up with the death of T'Challa, who succumbs to a deadly illness off screen. His sister Shuri is trying to resynthesize the heart-shaped herb and hopes that it will save him but she cannot do so in time. A heartbreaking funeral and a silent Chadwick Boseman-filled title sequence follow, after which the story jumps a year ahead. Queen Ramonda is fending off increasingly more aggressive attempts by Western powers to gain access to vibranium, and when they're unable to steal it from Wakanda, these countries begin searching the oceans for the precious metal to gain their own source. They find one in the ocean, but their search ship is destroyed and Wakanda is blamed. The Queen and Shuri are contacted, soon after, by Namor of Telecon. It was his people who destroyed the ship, as the vibranium source is near their underwater city. They wish to remain hidden from the surface world, and Namor wants the Wakandans to find the person who made the vibranium detector and kill her for him. It turns out that the vibranium detector was actually designed by a young girl named Ruri Williams, and Shuri and Okiyi go to find her. They end up in a chase with American agents, and both Riri and Shuri are captured and taken to Talakan. They escape and return to Wakanda with the help of Nakia, resulting in Namor attacking Wakanda and killing Queen Ramonda. Shuri has been given a bracelet by Namor that helps her to finish recreating the heart-shaped herb, after which she takes the herb and goes to the astral plane, where she sees Killmonger, not T'Challa or her parents. She awakes with the powers of the Black Panther, calls on Wakanda to make war on Talakan, and leads them into a massive third-act battle against Namor and his people. Her and Namor fight, and both nearly die. Eventually, though, she spares him, and the battle ends. After this, we find that she does not want to be the ruler, and that she's gone to visit Nakia, who introduces Shuri to her nephew, T'Challa, son of T'Challa. There we go. Yeah. It's actually a pretty good recap uh, of the movie in whole, um, but yeah, there was there was there was a there was a lot to this, and I'm actually glad that they took the time to to explore it, um, and I think they did a really good job of of doing that. And I think we have to ta- start with Letitia Wright as as Shuri because. That was one of the best performances in a movie, an MCU movie or 
a movie in general in quite some time. And I have to tell you, going into this picture, I was very conflicted uh, because of Letitia Wright, the actress, uh, sharing some rather questionable material on social media at the start of the pandemic. And some of that stuff still rolling around in my head. Uh, so I was like, I'm not sure how I'm going to be rooting for this character. And especially if this character has such an important role in this film. Little did I know that, that, that she really is the star of this film. And actually just nails the performance. Just an amazing performance. Now, granted, the script, I think, is excellent. And, and they did a really good job of, of growing this character through the film. But I think that her ability to portray that really made it leap off the screen. I, I just the start to finish, the the movie starts out black and you hear her voice. And it's her all the way until she's the very last thing you see at the end of the movie and then at the end of the mid-credits scene. She she is that important to this film and, and just did an amazing job. What what were you, what are your what are your first thoughts of, of of Letitia Wright as Shuri in this in this film? Yeah, I think you hit on both both the fact that this is absolutely you know, Black Panther 2 is a movie about the new Black Panther. And the right. new Black Panther is Shuri. And we don't know that going in. I mean, no. so we had a pretty good idea. Right? right, even before the the last few, uh, even before the last few previews dropped, but they were pretty coy on exactly what was going to happen in this one, as far as actually, you know, spelling it out. But this is absolutely the story of this woman, sort of, you know, going through this process of of loss and grief, and sort of, you know, fighting back against it and and accepting it. And everything else, and it's it's kind of odd how many of the recent DCU stories have been about this. You know, yeah. when you look at something like WandaVision, you know, um, it's it's dealing with a lot of the same stuff. When you look at No Way Home, sometime you know, with the fact yeah. that Peter ends up having to lose everything, there's a lot of these stories that I think there's there's kind of a resonance in the culture because of all that we've all lost with COVID, both in terms of our connections to other people and just the, the ridiculous numbers of Americans and people around the world who died from it. There's just so much loss and grief going on in the culture that this is probably resonating more than it, it normally would. And then also the fact that, you know, as she's going through this, we're all going through it because this movie has this weird situation where the character that she's mourning is is an actual human being that we're all mourning, yeah. which is not something you normally have to go through. So, I mean, there were people openly sort of just weeping in the theater two minutes into the movie. Yeah. You know? I, I think I was one of those people. It was, it was so hard. You could just... The frenetic pace of that opening scene when she's trying to figure out a way to save her brother... And it's just not working. They're like, go to him, see him before he passes. And she's just, no, I have to figure out a way to save him. And then yep. the queen comes in. It's just, it's just crazy. It, it just. Yeah, it was tough. 
and then the the initial Marvel credits oh, come God. in, and I think that finished a lot of people too because yeah, they take out all the music, they take out all the other characters of the MCU, and it's just Chadwick Boseman. It is know? a moment of silence with pictures mm-hmm. of him, and and that was perfect. But it also sets this tone for the movie, where. You know, you have you have this character who has essentially been subsumed into this actor who was really just a larger-than-life person. And one of the things that I think Letitia Williams has a problem with is that Chadwick Boseman was literally just a rock star. He was somebody who quite literally the Marvel Universe could have hung its hat on and said, Captain America, Iron Man, you guys retire this guy has got it because he was just 100% going to be the next superstar of the Marvel universe. Uh, now Letitia Wright comes in and she starts off almost immediately by getting herself on the wrong foot with a lot of folks by making some controversial statements, saying a lot of dumb stuff online. And all of a sudden, everything just seems really kind of scary. And that's the situation we're in at the start of Black Panther. You know, Wakanda's lost Black it's Black Panther and they don't know how they're going to get it back. We have sort of this hole in the Marvel universe with an actor that everybody so respected and now there's this kid coming in to try and replace him and nobody quite knows who she is or whether she's going to be able to live up to this. And now this movie is her chance to at least show she's got the chops to you know to live up to the the acting legacy, and she does a fantastic job, but it's it's very interesting just how, and then Kugler did it obviously, intentionally. You know that he's like, we want to we want to honor the fact that we've lost, you know, our lead. Right. We've lost our king, and it's just kind of going into it. They've got his face everywhere. They do the funeral. It's almost like he sort of lets everybody just get that warning out right at the beginning. And then it becomes Shuri's movie. We follow her all the way across, making friends, making choices, making mistakes, and then eventually having to decide, is she going to be T'Challa's heir, or is she going to be Killmonger's heir? Uh, to, to your point... Just before I just because you brought up Ryan Coogler specifically, there was there was a note that I had seen that he had considered actually taking a step back from not only Black Panther two, but mm-hmm. filmmaking in general because of how affected he was by his friend Chadwick yep. Boseman passing away. So the fact that he was able to kind of compartmentalize and and get back to doing this i i think we were all rewarded because of it because because this you think was... he compartmentalized i think he laid this shit out there on the screen absolutely like like blood on the tracks i mean it's sure. it's amazing yes he made a great film but but there's pain just yeah. all the way through it yeah you know so so there's two Two parts of, of of Shuri that that I think were really interesting, and and you brought up you you brought up them both in the in the recap. But the first was Shuri taking the route, going to the astral plane, 
and I was not expecting to see Killmonger there. Uh, given where she was at, I guess, and, and why she wanted to do the things she wanted to do, why she wanted to become the Black Panther, I guess it, it, it makes sense. But I just was not prepared for her to come around the throne and, and mm-hmm. see Killmonger there and have him basically be like, you're going to be like me. You're going to take care of business. You're, you know, you're not, you're, you know, you're not your brother. You're not T'Challa. You can't, you know, you're not, you're nope. not noble. But it makes sense when you yeah. look at where she was at and kind of what she'd been through that, you know, she was, she was definitely, especially after what happened to her mother, she was more on the side of people need to be punished, you know? Yeah, it it was, I think, a very powerful kind of dialogue exchange there. And then she pop, she, she, she awakens and keeps mm-hmm. getting asked, you know, what did you see? Who did you see? And she, she just isn't, isn't willing to tell, tell anybody that. And, and then like the final fight with Namor where, where they're going back and forth. And the thing, and we're going to probably touch on this more towards the end, but I, I loved that final fight because it wasn't to me, this big, huge CGI spectacle. Like we've seen in a lot of MCU. It movies. was not, this was, this was more of a, you had this bigger fight going on and then you had this one-on-one fight going on and they were going back and forth between these two. And it was, it was really something to watch, but seeing, seeing the back and forth between Namor and, and Shuri as the, as the Black Panther. And then, you know, she basically incinerates him with the, with the engine of the, of the, the vehicle thing that they, they were in. And then she's about to take him out with the spear. And then we see Queen Ramonda Mm -hmm. remind her who she actually is. And then she stops herself and, and asks, you know, basically says, do you yield? And, and he, and he yields. I just, I loved the way that final fight sequence played out. I thought it was, I thought it was perfect for the movie. I just and and just the back and forth between it, but specifically that that fight, that interaction, the way they went back and forth, and then how it ends up resolving because she's reminded at the very you know right before she makes the critical mistake that that Killmonger expects her to make, she has this vision of of the queen and 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 stops herself from it. No, I also I also think that this is some place where. Kugler's ability to sort of grow as a as a filmmaker and to be able to to sort of refine his message as he goes is important because I, there were two things about the original Black Panther movie that I think sometimes I would have had a critique on. And one of them was that a lot of people came away from that movie thinking Killmonger was not the bad guy. And I think Kugler really comes out relatively strongly in this one. And he says, look, Black Panther and Killmonger are not sort of just different sides of the same coin. One of them's one of them's the right path and one of them's the wrong path, you know? And we understand yeah. why. And we understand the pain he went through. But, you know, you've got to make the decision to not be that guy. 
and and that's pretty clear in Wakanda Forever that she has to make decision not to turn into a killmonger because it's just not going to be a path that works. And then secondly, probably the only thing I didn't like about the Black Panther movie in in the end was the muddy CGI filled sort of fight in the train area or whatever that was between Black Panther and Killmonger. And Googler, I think, has just heard a lot of people talking about how the CGI third acts of Marvel movies just don't really do it. And he pared that down. We we get a lot of hand-to-hand fighting on the ship. We get whales flying through the air and stuff like that. So there's there's some special effects. Riri's got her her armor. But it's a much more sort of character-driven and an almost like actual actor-driven finale than we've seen in a long time. Yeah, it it I I likened it to something like we saw in Lord of the Rings or or like even further back, something like Braveheart, where you had this big sort of just human hand-to-hand uh, you know, fighting going on. And it and it just it it didn't, you know, there were CGI kind of in the background and it's a way make things look, you know, where they were where they were, but it wasn't like this giant big thing that's going around knocking down buildings or that sort of thing. And 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 so it just kind of and, and there was a lot of just like close-up shots of 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 hand, you know, hand-to-hand fighting between be, between Namor's people and you know, the Wakandans, and then it would go back the other way, or you'd see a close-up of, of Riri. And, and so it was just, it was, it was really well done. Yep, I would, I would agree with all of that. So, so that would be Shuri and the main story. Yes. Go ahead and talk about one of the other most interesting characters, uh, our yeah. man Namor. So, yes. This was pretty he, exciting. He, he is... I think uh, out of all the kind of villains that we've seen recently, I, I I think we've talked about this before, where like the best villains are those you can empathize with or you see some sort of logic behind what they want. Yes, they're probably going, you know, a little too far. Like he wants to basically, you know, attack the, you know, the mainland uh, and conquer the entire world. So that's a little, you know, kind of crazy. But at the same time, it's like you understand where he's coming from. It's like, you know, these people are fighting and, you know, we're going to get caught in the middle and we don't want that. And so we're trying to stay out of the way. But if they keep coming in, they're going to find us and then they're going to exploit us and all this. And, uh, you know, I I was looking for parallels to to what we read in the comics this week. And, and it's. You know, they called him a pacifist in the comics at one point this week, and he 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 seems he seemed actually very similar to to the guy that we saw in mm-hmm. in that in that twenty six to thirty uh, from volume three. Uh, you know, didn't he didn't feel didn't feel hot headed like he felt determined to do the thing he wanted to do. Uh, you know, you, you talked about the fact he he's willing to, to take it to a point. But if you go past that point, he is going to there's going to be retribution. And and that seemed to be 
his MO throughout this entire entire movie. He's very reasonable as long as he gets what he wants. And right. sometimes what he wants isn't reasonable, unfortunately. Sure. But um I think that yes, this is very much I mean, it's a very different Namor than is in the comics, because there's nothing about the Namor in the comics that has any Mesoamerican or Mayan sort of of parallels. He's from Atlantis. He's not from Telecon. But probably the main reason they've done this is, you know, Aquaman has been long established in the DC universe and everything all the way back to Super Friends and, you know, the talking to dolphins and everything. They just wanted to get away from Aquaman entirely. And it also allows them to then sort of explore this other sort of of dynamic and i think kugler's very interested in colonialism and in some of these different racial and ethnic uh you know conflicts that have arisen with the west and and uh, countries in, in africa and in south america and the like and a lot of that really comes through to where what they've done now is built namor essentially as somebody who was around at the time of the spanish invasion of Central America witnessed right. a lot of this Holocaust as it was occurring. And he and his people, um, you know, his, his mother had escaped just as it happened. Uh, essentially, they were human beings who were turned into um, into water breathers by this, was it a, plant. I mean, essentially a plant that somehow had been infused with vibranium or something like this. And they then escaped to the sea. He was the first person born in the sea. So he was the first of their kind born down there. He was also born as a mutant. So the rest of them are sort of bluish, and they do not have wings on their feet. But he looks more like someone from the surface world. He's got the wings, and he is he really breathe, powerful. Yeah, he can breathe air. Uh, nope. and un- unlike unlike the rest of them who have to have these like masks mm-hmm. of water over their face. Nope. And there are and there are in Marvel comics not only the there's essentially multiple different types of of Atlantean uh, tribes or or groups, civilizations, and some of them have different uh, physical features. So that sort of thing happens. But I, I do think that it was a really good origin story. It's completely yeah. new. Yeah. It but was... it was really good, and it allowed them to do some great stuff visually. Yes. So so a couple a couple of things that that. You know, I think are interesting. One, one is obviously he's he's he yields at the end, so he's still alive. So there, there's definitely the possibility that we're going to to see this character again at some point. And you can't kill Namor. That would be no. that would be rude. Yeah. That would be very bad. What one of my favorite lines from this film was actually something that he mentions to 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 Shuri. Uh, as they're, I think, going down and he's taking her down into to, to see the city is he says, only the most broken people can be great leaders. And that really got me thinking about <laughs> about our real life world and, 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 and some of that sort of thing as well. So it's it's really interesting. And the other thing is I read that um, Tina Huerta who played Namor actually did not know how to swim 
And so when Ryan Coogler offered him the role and asked him how his swimming skills were, his his reply was, I've never drowned before. And ended up taking some swimming lessons in preparation for the role, yeah. which I, I think is wow. fantastic. That's kind of crazy. That is kind of crazy. So yeah, um, I do. I do find also the fact that they've they've given him a a reason to be named Namor, yes. essentially El Nino Cinemore, or or you know, no no more not loved. Essentially, also completely not anything to do with as far as I've ever heard anything in the comics, but it fits perfectly. It does, especially especially the origins. Yeah, yep. especially the origin story they gave him. It, it, it's it, one of those it, things it, that it's not the way it was in the original origin story, but it should have been almost. It should have you know? been, yes. That was that would have so, been perfect, yes. Yeah, because as as you've noted in the notes, he has actually named the word Roman backwards. Right. For yeah, whatever not, reason. Not not as, quite as clever. It's just no. you know, there. But yeah. So I think that Namor was a spectacular character. I don't even think he's a villain in this story, really. He's a guy who's living his life, trying to just stay out of trouble and, and take care of his people. And suddenly folks come along with a bunch of drills and everything's threatened. And he has the power to make sure that doesn't happen. So he's right. he is perfectly happy. I mean, really what he wants is to just make sure that nobody finds them and causes trouble. And so he's he's just not subtle. He's he's very not subtle when there's things right. he believes he needs. So he could have handled it better. So outside of that, um, what did you think overall of the story and everything else and some of the some of the various scenes? Uh, sounds like you liked the United Nations scene. Yes, I. So you know we talked about. Leticia Wright's character and how how good the the story was revolving around her, but I think the whole the whole movie the story was just very brilliantly written. Uh, the United Nations scene at the beginning, where where you have these basically heads of state, you know, chastising Wakanda for not kind of entering the global arena and sharing their vibranium, sharing their technology, and all this sort of thing. And then you have the queen's response, which is basically you petulant children can't handle this technology. You can't handle this resource. You, you, you would not use it properly and you would blow us all up. And then juxtaposed to some, this military group attempting to steal vibranium from this like, mm -hmm. Wakandan outreach thing outside of outside of Wakanda and, and you know it takes she's not wrong yeah it, it, it takes basically the fact that they had mercenaries on site waiting for just such an event to occur because you know it sounds like this hasn't happened before and then proceeds to bring in these these mercenaries mm -hmm. into the room and then basically points at one of the delegates and says hey these are your people you should you should take them back, and if I see any more people, uh, it's going to be met with uh, severe repercussions. I I just I absolutely loved that scene and how it played out. It felt 
about as real as you can get insofar as you could see people chastising others and all this sort of thing until the mercenaries come walking in it felt like it could have been on c-span that, that's how well written i think that scene was oh so did did angela bassett have the best performance of the movie in the united nations scene or in the scene later on where she strips um okoye of her title as general after losing because because oh, i gotta say God. both of those yeah. are, those are were just, those are dynamite yeah powerhouse scenes so she she's just was fantastic in the whole movie um and and bassett really did just bring kind of that weight to all those scenes that just took it completely up a notch um, I, yeah I, I, Yes, I, I have noted in kind of the other things I wanted to mention is Angela Bassett is fantastic in this movie as well. Yeah. Just for from 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 the get go, from that from that UN scene all the way all the way until until they kill her character off, which again I was just kind of just a mess in the theater when that happens and we have another funeral for for this. Yeah. But yes. When she's dressing down Okoye and says, I am the queen of the most powerful nation in the world, and my entire family is gone. Have I not given everything? Nope. I'm just floored by that line. Just floored by that line. Yeah, it was it was pretty amazing. And so that that was one of the other things is that you know, all of these secondary and tertiary characters pretty much. Were, were absolutely spectacular. Uh, you, you mentioned, actually, that Telecon's actually named after the Aztec underwater realm of... What is that? Tlalacon Pla- or something like this? Yeah, it's, it's very similar. Sim- similarly named, yeah. So I want to talk about the look of that. Yeah. I think that was really cool. I mean, it was... Again, we're so used to CGI stuff that none of it's as spellbinding as it was back in the day but they did a really cool job of it and you know you mentioned in the notes again Dwayne's notes are copious by the way I get all sorts of information <laughs> reading his notes that that evidently uh one of the, the the artists actually was using Jack Kirby as one of the the models for some of the, and you can see in like that that massive throne chamber or whatever in Tlalcan that that is 100% Jack Kirby. It looks like it could be right out of one of his comic books. So, uh, Hannah Belcher is the production-led production design, and she cited artist Jack Kirby, the fantasy film Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and Jaws as being influence for the production design in this film. And, and, oh. and I could definitely... Th- I, it's been a few minutes since I've seen Jaws, but but from what I do remember of Jaws, I, I, I can sort of see that as well. I have never watched Jaws. Oh. And I'm afraid of I'm afraid of two things, dinosaurs and sharks. Uh-huh. So I've always said it's very fortunate I was born in Minnesota in the modern era, because it makes yes. it much less likely I'm going to have to deal with either of those. But uh nonetheless. Yeah, it was 
pretty amazing design. And, and as usual, the design of all of the Wakanda sets and costumes and everything as well was just absolutely beautiful and so detailed. Like everything about the world just seems real, which right. is, is amazing. Um, so some of the other characters, Okoye, you mentioned. Yes. I think that was really well done as well. Kind of how, you know, her storyline through it, somebody who's always so confident. And then at a certain point, she just sort of loses the princess and then yeah. has to try and work her way back. And yeah, it, it, it was, it was, it was like the, the, you, you know, the type that is like confident to the point of being almost overconfident and sometimes they do get taken down a peg. Sometimes mm -hmm. someone bigger and better does, in fact, come along every once in a while, and they and they have to eat a little humble pie. And that's exactly what happened here. And then, nope. yeah, just her kind of coming back and and um, you know finally agreeing to wear the suit that that Shuri had had been making for her uh, was mm -hmm. was quite quite brilliant as well, which is. Which is actually there wasn't a because of this like all they had to do and all of that all the death I came kind of involved there wasn't as much humor in this as, as we've seen in some of the other movies I'm thinking That's of, true. of mm -hmm. like Thor Love and Thunder specifically being kind of the last one we saw but there was well, but even there, that, I mean Thor was a comedy I think even just yeah. in general. Marvel movie has a yeah. certain level of comedy that this does not meet the level of. No, it, there it there were not, moments. There were there it was had very limited comedy. Yeah, and it was it, more understated for the most part. Yes, you know? it was it was it was like quick. It was actually, you know, Shuri and Okoye that kind of had that that dynamic and that kind of mm -hmm. like little bit of humor that there was felt like it was those two playing off each other and and, and so it was it was definitely a little yep. bit different and our next character Riri also had some of that so Riri yes. Williams we read a comic book or two last week about her do you think right. that helped going into the show or would you have would it have not mattered they explained her well enough quickly enough that was there anything they, about it that uh, that was useful or interesting I it was more that I guess I was familiar with the character. Uh, you know, I, I think they do a really good job of of fitting her into this story. I wasn't quite sure how that was going to work. She's basically this this 19 year old super genius at college and and basically over as a class project, you know, built a vibranium detector that then the government found out about and then made an actual like large scale thing that they were trying to use uh without her knowledge and and so it was it was i i think it, it felt plausible to me first of all and secondly it was like i just i loved how it, it sort of fit in it, it made it made sense to me and then like getting to see them sort of kind of work together shuri and and riri on you know the kind of the plan that they had uh and to try and um, you know capture Namor during the final battle with the you know identifying that water is really where his power source is and and create this like 
heat lamp situation going on in in this in this uh in this air, airplane that they were that they were flying I, I thought it was really interesting plus you know you saw them working with metal and they cut out this heart and i was like oh god we're gonna see an iron heart suit then we see during that third act an upgraded yep. suit from the one that she had in the warehouse yeah when you talk about working her into the story one of the things that's interesting if you think back to last week's comics is that the first books we read were about wakanda and Atlantis essentially getting in a, a war potentially because of a conflict that the Eternals had where they were trying to get a girl back who was a young, sort of a, a, a hideous uh, Eternal who looked like a regular uh, human girl. And they refused, the Wakandans refused to give her back and that started a war really they just took Riri Williams and they took that story and plopped yeah. her into the spot they made in her the place of the girl yeah. from the Eternals which then lets you get rid of the, the deviants entirely make it just a conflict about Wakanda and uh and Telecon slash Atlantis and everything else pretty much stays the same you know it's it's Namor and his side want the girl dead they say no. There's got to be another way, and that's how it kind of. So yeah, really, a lot of it comes out of that Christopher Priest, or sometimes he's just called Priest Run, from the the 1988 volume of Black Panther, which I think is kind of interesting that they call back yeah. to that and use that as as sort of a base, and then the ending also ends much the same way, where Namor, in order to prevent out, outright war essentially ends up yielding and taking a loss in so that peace can be restored and everybody goes back to their corners and there's not a major war. So really they took they took a lot, both in terms of the setup and the conclusion out of that of that storyline we read last week. So I'm feeling pretty good about myself for that. Because <laughs> I think we nailed yes. about as closely as possible the books that sort of target the plot of this movie. So you know the the volume three and volume four. Uh, we we talked a lot about Everett Ross. Uh, mm -hmm. Martin Freeman was back in this as Everett Ross. He I didn't feel like he played that major a role. He was kind of the the go between a little bit. And I think what did you th they could have easily cut everything with the the Contessa, which is uh, his his ex wife and Agent Ross. And put a small MacGuffin in that somehow allowed them to get the information they wanted, and nothing would have been lost whatsoever. Yeah. There was there was not much. Um, they were completely useless characters in this movie. So <laughs> they, I, yeah, I have little to say about this. I love both the actors and everything like yes. that, but they were. I, useless. I was I was very surprised to see Julia Louis Dreyfus uh, on my screen with with like this purple uh, yep. hair thing going on. So I, I well, you remember I, she was there previously in the Captain America books or the Captain America show right at the end. I didn't I did not remember that. So, yeah. yep. So she uh, she had kind of a a little preview of the fact she was coming into the MCU at the end of the Captain Marvel or uh, Captain America and the Winter Soldier, uh, which why they did that. Because it's Falcon and the Winter Soldier up until the end, and then it's Captain America and the Winter Soldier, but it's the same story. So what do you call it? 
anyway. So, um, but yeah, I I think of all the characters, they were probably the the least interesting to me. They're they're parts of it, and a lot of the United States government sort of meddling. Uh, a lot of that. What did the U.S. even really have to do with the end of it? Anything much other than they were always thinking about attacking Wakanda, but they never did. So one guy we haven't talked about yet, who I think really has been consistently in the first movie and this one great, is Winston Duke playing M'Baku. Yeah. And he is always the the character and the way that that part of Wakanda's world building works has always been interesting. And I think he did a great job again. You know, find it, finding out that he's actually, I guess, T'Challa in his final days had reached out to him and asked him to be kind of the advisor to, to Shuri after he was gone because he knew he, she would need that. I, it was just during the, during the funeral, just this like little thing. And, and you just, and then like at the end when they're talking mm-hmm. before, before Shuri arrives as the black Panther, he's kind of, you know, leading the discussion as to what, what they do. And, and he, he has this like, commanding presence but also this very understated presence too that just i'm not quite sure how they how they work but it just sort of he just he just does it it's crazy i think it's sort of the the offensive lineman thing where you're six seven three hundred and twenty pounds you're commanding without having to say a whole lot you know (laughs) right yeah (laughs) he just sort of he just sort of takes up space and uh people tend to defer to him so but but yeah, it's it's a fun character. I think that's also where he's he doesn't he's not funny in terms of haha funny, but his character does add always a little bit of of sort of um lightness to the uh to the proceedings too. Sure. So, yeah. And and really you know all of these characters, a lot of the a lot of the other uh Telecon um sort of secondary characters, a lot of the others that we see uh, from, like, the um, the Dora Milaje and the like, they all do a really good job of of kind of keeping things moving. The one other person, as we're, as we're nearing the end, that I would like to ask about is what do you think of T'Challa, son of T'Challa, and what this means for us? I, that was a complete shock to me. When when Nikia walks out with him, you're like, okay, who's the who's the little boy? It's probably just some some orphan that she's been working with at the at the in, in Haiti, where she set up this like school and stuff, and and then you see him and you're like, huh, he looks kind of familiar. And then she talks about keeping a secret. I just. I started welling up and, and and then like he says it and I just like, oh my gosh. I mean, it makes perfect sense. But at the same time, like I had no, it just completely blindsided me and I have no idea what this means. I have to, I have mm-hmm. to be perfectly honest. I have no idea what this means. I mean, it's, it's interesting because to a certain extent, one thing that it does is it means that it it preserves, and and this is the cynical side of it. The beautiful side of it is it was an absolutely wonderful sort of heartbreaking and yet 
uplifting conclusion to the show and it carries on the legacy but it also keeps the t'challa name and trademark active as the black panther moving forward in the mcu because now in five to ten years they're going to be able to have a teenage t'challa or a a young adult t'challa that they're going to be able to bring in if they want and so i think that's interesting as well um but I I liked it. I think that it's one of those things where, you know, the 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 comics books world was was robbed of of its T'Challa by a shitty disease. And that sucks. And it's some way that Kugler can kind of give a little bit of that back and say, you know, he's still there. You know, yeah. T'Challa's still there. Chadwick Moseman's still there still going to be part of this universe even even if he's passed so one 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 of the things i one of the only things i saw before going into the movie was a tweet by kevin smith who had seen the movie and he said that you know the movie was the movie was great he said but the mid-credits scene that the t'challa son of t'challa was mm-hmm. worth the price of admission just on its own and i I can't say that I totally disagree with him there, but we we did get a we did get a really good movie for for our money before that scene. So, no. so yeah. my I can't imagine having to sit next to Kevin Smith during this movie. Like oh he my would, God. he probably bawled for two and a half hours. It would have yeah. it would have just been it would have just been insane. So, um, anyways, so where so before before we go into the face off. I got to thinking, where do you think this ranks in in phase four, which this is the last film of of phase four? And, and where do you think this lands in the larger kind of MCU uh pantheon of movies for you specifically? Well, I really liked this movie, but I think that this also plays to things that i enjoy i like it when there's more story and when the effects are more practical i like it when there's some challenging concepts and the like and i think when you look at some of the when you look at some of the ideas in terms of colonial powers that are explored when you look at the fact that the cast is overwhelmingly female like how many times have you seen an action blockbuster where not only is almost the entire cast minorities, but almost every major role is played by a woman. You yeah. know, it's it's really a kind of a groundbreaking movie in a lot of ways like that. I think that's cool. And just in terms of the fact that a lot of Marvel movies are movies, this is a film, you know? Yeah. Screw Martin Scorsese if he says this is not a film, because this this is some really, really good stuff. It deals with a lot of deeper themes and and I like it a lot. So, you know, looking at looking at what phase four involves, it looks like it's Black Widow, Shang Chi, Eternals, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, Thor, Love and Thunder, and Black Panther. Is that correct? That that sounds right, yes. Oh man. They've had better phases. Let me put it this way. Um I, I liked Shang-Chi a lot. 
I like Spider-Man. I actually like Thor Love and Thunder a lot. But I would say that for me, Black Panther ex exceeds Shang-Chi, and then Spider-Man No Way Home, I guess, would be my third one. But maybe Thor. I, I don't know. Black Panther is easily my favorite to the Black of the Phase 4 movies, looking at that list. Yeah, for for me, what what it all came down to is I, I think this is the best film in Phase 4. And to be perfectly honest, given what they had to tackle, I don't think it's actually all that close, which is really difficult for me to say because I really liked No Way Home. I I, mm -hmm. I was a total sucker to the fan service in that film, uh, bringing <laughs> Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield back, and as well as some of the villains from those movies. I, I hook, line, sinker just got me as far as fan service goes. But I... the gravity of this film just makes, as, as you said, it is not a superhero movie. This is a film. This could be this could be any any other sort of setting you have this and and it and and it is it's it's just a really really well made film and i oh, but keep in mind it is also a movie it is also a bunch of people yeah. running around in spandex punching each other and it's yeah. fun yeah. and it's 2 hours and 40 minutes or whatever and it did not feel to me no like i was sitting there for 2 no, hours and 40 not. minutes being educated by some, you know, Swedish black and white film or something like this. It was, it <laughs> yes. was, it was a it, lot of it fun. Was, it was less of a popcorn movie than say Thor Love and Thunder, but no. it was, it would, you know, it, it, you're not, you're not just like, it's not as easy to just sit there shoveling popcorn in your mouth and just enjoying your time. But mm -hmm. it was, it was really, really, it really good, really interesting, really, uh, yeah, I I don't want to say fun, but it was it was yeah it was it it was fun, and I think that I think that you should be able to still say that that yeah. you know there there's a lot in there that's heavy, but they still delivered a really satisfying film where you got to see some great visuals, and yes. there were there were cool moments and everything that, else. Um, that's the word I was looking for. Probably the best way to equate it is if you if you think of T'Challa's funeral at the beginning where instead of everybody mourning wandering around in their in their somber black dress everybody's in white and they're essentially having a big party and this Dancing. movie is almost the equivalent of you know yeah. the the having having a party for Bozeman and T'Challa and so yeah but I, I do think that there's, the more I think about it, there's not much question that this is my favorite to the Phase Fours. What about so. what about the larger MCU? Uh, this this to me has to fit in the top five somewhere, and and pro might even might even be in the top three. I would say. Yeah, I I think the thing that it, it does so well is it transcends its own it, it it transcends itself by being about something greater i mean it's because it's made in 22 and it deals with grief and it deals with loss and it deals with coming to terms with stuff it especially at the time it's made 
and yeah. with the loss of Chadwick Boseman and everything, it just has so much more locked into it. But I think it's better just than the first Black Panther film. And I love the first Black Panther film. I would, yeah, probably say it's going to be one of one of the the top tier of MCU movies. I don't know. Yeah. I'd have to go and make an actual list to figure out exactly where. But yeah, it's I'm as not, good as an MCU I'm not movie looking forward to, to that when we get to that point where we're trying to, to, to order these things. <laughs> I mean, let me put it this way. If, if they're, if they're all anywhere, any movie that's anywhere near this good, I'm perfectly happy with, regardless where you want to put it on a list. This is, uh, this is great stuff. I feel bad for my comics this week, by the way. Now we have to to do the face off. And, uh, what do we, what do we think about Black Panther volume three? Uh, which, which essentially, like I said, tells much the same story uh, versus Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I, I mean, this is slam dunk for me this week. This is it. Yeah. And, it and it's not because volume three is bad. It, it nope. is not that at all. It is just the the screen adaptation had so many things going into it that that could have been stumbling blocks and not only did they prove not to be stumbling blocks they they enhanced i think what ended up being the final product and if, if there are very few situations where i think that ever happens and and mm-hmm. i think i think black panther wakanda forever is one of the it is the best movie of phase four it is likely one of the best films in the MCU to date. And uh, I have a hard time believing that, that there's going to be film too many films that are going to be at or above its level going forward. So there's, there's just so much, so much here that has, has to have me going towards the movie. Yeah. I, I suspect that uh, priest and Valudo and all the rest that made black Panther volume three are also probably, you know, going to have to admit that uh, they were well served by the adaptation. Let's put it that way. So this was this was a fantastic movie. It was well made, well acted, just everything you could want in a story. So yeah, gotta go with the movie this week. It was it was it was spectacular. Dan, where are we where are we looking at? What are we going into next week? Yeah, so we are going to be getting ready for Iron Man 3, which was the first movie in Phase 2 of the MCU, just like Iron Man was the first movie in Phase 1. And to get you a little bit of sort of comic book uh, information leading into those, there's two things I want to talk about, or two different topics that we're going to cover using comics. First off, we're going to look a little bit at the Mandarin. We're going to start with his very first appearance in Tales of Suspense, number 50. This is a very old comic book. It is horribly dated, as is much of the, uh, the early uh, presentation of the Mandarin. But it's interesting to take a look at just to kind of see where comics were at in the 60s 
in terms of some of their Asian stereotypes and things like that that were utilized. And then we're going to look at a slightly newer um, interpretation of the Mandarin. It's a six-issue miniseries called Iron Man Enter the Mandarin from back in 2007. And then after that, we're going to switch over to taking a look at Extremis. And Extremis is something that comes up in Iron Man 3, so we do want to get a little bit idea where it came from. Invincible Iron Man, issues number 1 through 6 from 2004, are the ones that introduce the Extremis armor concept. And so we're going to take a look at that and see how you enjoy them. I think they're, um, except for the terrible first one, I think they're mostly a pretty interesting group of books. Hopefully you'll like them. Okay. Okay. I look forward to reading those. And with that, that's going to wrap it up for us for this week. We'd like to thank you all for joining us. If you're new to the podcast, please consider subscribing on your podcast player of choice. That way you'll get each new episode as soon as it's released. If you've been listening for a while, we'd appreciate you telling a friend about the show or leaving us a review. It will help others find the show. Have some thoughts about Wakanda Forever? The, the Black Panther books we read last week or anything else comic book related, we'd love to hear them. You can interact with us on social media via Twitter. We are at Comics Over Time. You can also reach us via email. That address is comments at comicsovertime.com. Dan, Wakanda Forever was amazing. But as we look forward, we're coming up on some movies that I think many have considered kind of subpar to those that we saw in phase one i'm very interested in seeing some of the books that you have uh that helped shape those and we can discuss what went right and and what may have missed the mark yeah we got a couple of uh a couple of them that they've been re sort of reevaluated over the years but uh, iron man 3 and thor dark world definitely not uh not initially thought of as classics so we'll see what you think of them as we go through here but yeah it's been uh it's been fun love the movie love talking about it and we will talk to you again next week take care Dwayne. take care everybody see you later folks <laughs> <laughs>